I imagine that most of us, uh, certainly many of us are here today because someone has shown us love. Either an encouraging word or some type of kind act or generosity. It, it could be a one-off thing or it could be something that we've experienced as, as part of a pattern. At the time and time again, we have experienced goodness. And that may have come from a parent or from, from friends um, or someone that is in our workplace. Or, um, and, and it set us on a search for where that love came from, where that love comes from. And, and so we have, we have gathered today as people who, who believe that all love actually comes from God. And so we, we have gathered together here today because at some point in our lives, it, it may even have sparked off by, by someone showing us kindness or someone speaking to us kindly in a world that up until that point we saw as a very unloving place. And then we went on this search. And the reason why we're here as well is because we want more. We, we want to encounter more of the love of God. The strange thing about the central Christian symbol is that it conveys love to us, and yet the cross, the one that we have at the frontier of the church in brass, like all crosses, it's a barbaric form of execution. And for those who haven't experienced Jesus Christ and, and come to have a relationship, it probably still remains a mysterious thing or, or perhaps just a symbol of barbaric execution. But for you and I, for all those who have come and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, it has become the symbol of hope and life and mercy and joy where the Father is ours and we are His. Another symbol that you'll have seen around Bangor Parish over these last number of years is this one. And um, it's interesting. I remember we were sitting down with the company who sort of helped us with graphics, and, and uh, I, I asked the question. They came back with some ideas. And, and this particular idea, interestingly, comes from the, uh, the hand carvings at the top of the pillars. Um, you know, the, it's sort of it's a little series of crisscrosses, and uh, that's just sparked an interest in the person who's a designer, artistic. And so they came to this with lots of ideas, and this was one of them here. And, and I asked the question, which apparently was the wrong question to ask, which is, what does it mean? And the designer said, it doesn't mean anything. It's not meant to mean anything. The best symbols don't mean anything. It's up to you as a Christian community to hang the meaning on the symbol. The, 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 the value of the symbol is purely like a, like a coat hanger. It's up to you to hang the meaning onto the symbol. And the best symbols by themselves mean nothing. It was an education for me. But I've started to see over time the wisdom of what of what that team said. What we're hoping to do over these months and years ahead, God willing, moving into just a new place of ministry and mission 
and outward focus over the years ahead is, is to mobilize some new ministries this September onwards um, here and out of the church hall. Uh, now, whenever I say the words church hall, I imagine that probably for half of us here, it's, we have a church hall? That's, that's a bonus? That's good? And uh, because the reality is, although it's 50 feet or 50 yards that way there, uh, you may never have really noticed it. And um, nor necessarily will, will anyone else. And uh, so what we want to do is, is to convey that here in the middle of Bangor, there is a, what I either think of is a, a, com- a, a campus of compassion, uh, an oasis of love and mercy. And uh, so we need to make this connection, this sense of that the people who are going out from these places and the people who are coming into the places, that there's this understanding that somehow uh, under the, the universal symbol of the cross of Christ and under our particular one, that we are saying basically this is where help is to be found. And so our hope and our desire, uh, certainly mine anyway, which I'm trying to convince everyone else of, is, um, is to put a massive symbol on the outside of this church. Temporary, don't worry, it'll be a temporary thing. And also similarly at the hall. To basically convey the fact of who we are and then it's up to us as the family of God to hang significance on that symbol. The only way people will come to think that this is where practical help, where there's, a, there's clothes to be found, there's food to be found, there's love to be found, there's a listening ear to be found, there's prayer to be found, there's, uh, there's cap money courses to help people spend and use and save and give money wisely. Uh, whether, whether those people are millionaires or billionaires or deep in debt or don't have two farthings to rub together, the money course, the cap money course, is designed to help anybody and everybody use money wisely. There's also um, the idea of this closed boutique, the idea that people will be able to come in, there'll be common knowledge of, there'll be referrals, and people will come in, and what we're aiming to do is create something that looks as much like a really good clothes shop as possible. So people can come in and there's a sense of dignity and to go around the shop and to find the clothes that suit them. They'll be changing rooms and, and that sense of uh, having, being able to get clothes that don't cost you monetarily anything. But yet, it's just like a shop. And also then things like, um, so CAP, CAP stands for Christian Against Poverty, really good organization that we're, we're partnering with in that. And also as well then uh, our word ministries like Alpha, um, which we're going to run one starting in October time and one starting in the January time. And uh, the first one we hope will be in here at the back of the church. The second one will be out somewhere in the community. And in all those places, I want us to, to have this symbol visible so that it becomes apparent to anybody that there is an oasis of love and mercy, and that's the signpost for it. I want to encourage us in that, in that uh, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage us as a family, that to me, it's, it's really encouraging that we've got to the point 
that we're going to put big symbols outside and we're going to say, you know what? We are confident that when you meet the people whom this symbol represents, that you'll be blessed. We believe that you will encounter the love of God whenever you come to the place with the people where the symbol is present. That's true for the cross, for the whole Christian community. It's going to be true for us and it is true for us in terms of us as the Bangor Parish Church family. The thing is, it's also not only an encouragement, it's also a challenge. Imagine if you're in the middle of a desert and you're parched with thirst and you see this wonderful billboard which just has this river and streams of water and waterfalls and, and uh, people sucking in the, the lovely water and you run towards it in the midst of your parched thirst only to find sand. Imagine how disappointed you'd be. So this, I think, also is a tremendous challenge. And how, how can we ensure as the people of God that when people come and encounter us, not, not just and not even primarily in these buildings or just outside these buildings, but actually in our own lives. Because God's on mission everywhere, and He's calling us on mission with Him everywhere. How can we ensure that when people encounter, seek to encounter God, and seek to encounter God among His people, people who have flesh and blood and a pulse and breathing, how can we ensure that they will encounter God? I was really struck yesterday, I uh, was at an Alpha conference up in Belfast, and I was just really encouraged again to hear again and again and again the transforming power of God in people's lives. People standing up and just saying how, how they'd encountered God. Uh, one man talking about the fact he'd been brought up in a Christian family, and it wasn't really until he was about 19. He'd been through youth ministry and children's ministry, and he knew everything pretty much about you know, what there was to do with Christian faith. But he said he realized he still hadn't had this sense of encountering God. And he said, uh, in a good old Northern Irish term, it was one of those things where there was tears and snot everywhere whenever he encountered God. And again, story and story again of people coming through addictions and uh, just all sorts of circumstances coming out of prison and uh, out of the army and all, all sorts of different things in which people in those places discovered God. And our reading today reminds us about how transforming, how transformative it is to meet Jesus Christ and, and what that means for us who say, Lord, here, here I am. I need your help. I need your mercy and your hope and your forgiveness and your life. So whenever we're looking at this passage from, from John, it's part of uh, his, uh, John's first letter. So just a bit of context. Um, the pastoral letters in the New Testament, the ones that have generally the names of John or Peter or James or whatever like that, most pastoral letters are designed to, to address poor thinking leading to poor behavior. So they tend to be written because there's something wrong 
in terms of thinking patterns or in terms of behavior flowing out of those thinking patterns. And uh, so John, writing these letters, handily named one John, two John, three John, and uh, also the author of John's Gospel, Book of Revelation. And uh, John is writing probably from Ephesus around about the end of the first century, let's say about 1995 AD perhaps. And he, by this time, we believe is the last living apostle on earth, and he is at a ripe old age. And that's why in his writing, in these letters, he keeps calling people dear children, little children. He talks about the Christian life in terms of family and in terms of children, because by this time, he's probably older than just about anybody else. And he's also writing because there's this bad pattern of thinking, which later on in later centuries will, will come to be known as the philosophy of Gnosticism. A nice word that begins with a G, like no, Gnosticism. And this pattern of thinking is that basically is that everything physical is bad because everything created actually comes from a bad source. And the only way to encounter God is through mind and spirit, because flesh is bad. So that's why one of the great verses in John's Gospel, chapter 1, is that wonderful verse, verse 14, that says, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I was reminded yesterday, and listened to a speaker yesterday, that for John, and using, frequently using the words, we have seen, we have seen his glory, that for John, and what he wants to express to us, and this is, this is still true for all of us, is that we can taste the goodness of God, we can smell the goodness of God, we can touch the goodness of God, we can hear the goodness of God. You see, creation was created good. Human beings were created very good. Jesus came to return everything to being good, to restore heaven on earth, to restore Eden. So often we don't think that it's through us as the Christian community that people will smell the goodness of God and taste the goodness of God. So when people come for a meal tonight or uh, come for a free bag of food or feel the clothes that they put on in our clothes boutique, what we know is happening is this. People are feeling the goodness of God. People are tasting and smelling the goodness of God. And also people will hear the goodness of God. John was so moved by the fact that he had seen God in the flesh. How are people today going to experience God? By experience God among us, people of flesh and blood. That through us, they can feel the touch of God. 
They can smell and taste and hear and see the goodness of God. Because not only is God good, but everything that he has made is good. The thing is, the world didn't recognize Jesus as the Son of God. You and I have this wonderful privilege to have this relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. People can see the outworking of it, God willing, but they can't see what's happening internally inside our lives. They don't know we have this wonderful conversation of prayer relationship with God where by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, day by day, moment by moment, we experience the presence of God. That we know He loves us. We know He accepts us. We know He embraces us. We know He is strong. We know He is loving. We know He is wise. We know He disciplines us. We know He is our Heavenly Father. What the Gnostics came to believe was that the only way to find God was by intellectual and spiritual pursuit. What John wants to say is this, actually, what happens is that our physical behavior indicates what we believe. And therefore, he was saying to a group of people who initially were part of the church but then removed themselves from it in John's time, a people who constantly talked about we No, we have special knowledge. We have special anointing. And what John is saying throughout this letter is this, we know. And so he says, dear friends, the the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we're children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him him as he is. See what John is doing? John is writing to correct error, and the error is people having a sense of speculative special knowledge that then actually doesn't translate into faithful living and godly behavior. See, the place where Ephesus, where John was writing, was a place which was full of wealth, trade, Uh, Nothing wrong with those things, but it was also a place of idolatry, witchcraft, and very low moral living. And this has seeped into the church. And so what John is saying is this. Our ugly behavior led to an ugly death for Jesus. So why would we have anything to do with ugly behavior? He's saying to the people who say, it's all about knowing and not about faith and belief expressed in action. John is saying, we have seen God in the flesh. We have ultimately seen the greatest act of love being a body physically broken and blood poured out. We have seen the grace and the glory of God. And you know where we've seen it? We've seen it in flesh. 
John is reminding that if you want to know, then look at Jesus Christ on the cross. When we read those verses, it can sometimes feel initially when we read it that John is saying, if you ever sin, you're not a true Christian. So we read this verse, and in him, Jesus, was no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, John is not saying, if you ever sin, you're not a Christian. Because back in the first chapter of this letter, he said, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not saying Christians never sin. What he is saying is we are born into a new reality. We are part of the kingdom of God. We are children of our dear heavenly Father. Our nature is no longer to sin. We don't want anything to do with sinning anymore. And the reason is because we've met Jesus Christ and we love him because he first loved us. And the last thing we want to do is have anything to do with what nailed him to the cross. That was an ugly death due to our ugliness as human beings. We want nothing more to do with it. So as, as a people... When it comes to this question, how, how can we know that when people come across the door here or in our own homes or in our workplaces where we are or wherever it happens to be or in the hall, how, how, can, we, how can we know as, as much as we can know or be confident as much as we can be confident that when people do that, they're going to encounter God? And the answer is holiness. And the amazing thing is what, what John is saying is that not only is holiness possible by the power of the Holy Spirit, but actually it's going to be completed. The job is going to be finished because when we see Jesus Christ, we are going to be like him. And John says, if you keep this hope in you, that this rigorous job of confession and growth and moving away from sinful words and sinful behavior and patterns of thinking, be encouraged by the fact that when Jesus comes back, the job's going to become completed. What John is saying is that is the place of motivation for us. The fact is that holy living is our great privilege because Jesus Christ, the Holy One, the one without sin, died that we may become holy. Is there any aspect of your life or my life where, where we have ugliness that we're living with? Where we've sort of said that'll do. I've gone as far as I'm going to go. We've come here because we want more of God. And the way to more of God is becoming more like Jesus Christ. It's about keeping a short account with God, confessing our sins moment by moment, knowing that we're already forgiven, 
knowing that we have a great Father who loves us and wants to draw us closer and closer and closer to himself. And although the world will not understand it because it did not understand who Jesus was and won't necessarily understand why we're going to give away clothes and food and time and love and the message of Jesus Christ. And there will be misunderstanding and there will be criticism. We do it because our desire is that some, even many, will come like us, like John the Apostle, to say, look, behold, see the great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And not only are we called children of God, that's actually what we are. And not only will that have a transformative effect in our own lives and the lives of our family, our marriage, or our friendships, it will also have a massive impact in this community or in your workplace or in your neighborhood. As John Wesley used to say, whenever he had those gatherings for prayer and worship, he said there were so many people who... You know, the, the people there were ablaze with Christ. And he said, you know, a lot of people just came to watch us burn. To watch us being ablaze with the love of God. I think that's why the gathering of worship is so important. And in this place, and in our moment-by-moment, day-to-day lives, we are saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And not just in that very important initial, I want to start a relationship with you. But in this sense of actually the greatest hunger and thirst that we have is for more of the love of God because we are just head over heels in love with God because we know that he's head over heels in love with us. And so any patterns of behavior or thinking, relationships that we're in that we shouldn't be in, whatever it happens to be, we put them aside because we have one goal, to see Jesus face to face and in that moment to be like him.